So, so this time I was, I was going to spring a, a couple of topics onto you because usually it's the other way around. Yeah, we've gotten that feedback before, right? Where it feels like I'm I'm playing in interviewer, and <laughs> yeah, and you're playing interviewee. But yeah, you're, you're definitely yeah, definitely no. more more the person fulfilling like the host duties uh, <laughs> on the on the podcast. But yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm excited. Put me in the hot seat. You do some work. I know, right? I have no idea how to do this. Um, it's, it feels like I'm recording my first podcast again. But um, so, so we're recording this on on January twenty seventh. Which, do you have any idea of uh, you know what that what that date might mean in the context of uh, classical I music? Mean, I I'm just gonna go out on a limb. I'm I'm gonna take a wild guess. Just a wild guess. It's Mozart's birthday. <laughs> it is indeed Mozart's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not gonna lie. I wouldn't have known that last night just in my instagram and twitter feed there's just so many mozart birthday hmm. tweets and posts and celebration so yeah that's how i know <laughs> yeah hot hot off the press of or whatever hot off the heels of, of beethoven 250 <laughs> we are now staring into the face of mozart 265 can you believe it oh is, is that right <laughs> <laughs> no that's the hashtag that's going hashtag around. mozart <laughs> it's getting it's getting fucking ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Soon we'll be looking at like Gabrielli four seventeen. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna get lit. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so I I don't know if you've heard about this this gimmick. Like okay. you know, we've talked about before how how like with Beethoven two fifty, we've talked about how um like using a birthday to to um to sort of program your your concert or your season around is is like the laziest possible thing that that you can imagine. Yeah. Um. But but um. There's a festival. It's a pretty cool festival. I think it's actually um, it's affiliated with. I don't know if Daniel Barenboim runs it or something like that. Hmm. But but he's involved in it. Okay. Um. The, the 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 Mozart Week festival. Um. Oh. I think it's 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 technically called the the Mozart Vosch. Okay. In Berlin, I assume. Probably, okay, yeah, I don't yeah. Know, I mean, or maybe in Salzburg or something. Ah, uh, sure, okay. Um, but you know that that's starting today. Um, I think it's digital this year, obviously. Yeah. Sure. Um, and and they have a um a, a little gimmick that they're pulling out today, which is a never before uh, heard piece of a piece by Mozart. Uh, have you heard about this? Really? Um, no, I haven't. I'm yeah skeptical. It, already but maybe i'm wrong you'll never guess what it's called the name of the piece or, or the... yeah yeah uh mozart's 42nd symphony no uh, no that's giving it too much credit oh okay no. okay all right I'll, I'll just tell you i'll just tell you it's called allegro in d major okay okay <laughs> you can <laughs> you can imagine something as, as crazy as that i wonder what it sounds like you know <laughs> Okay. Uh, I mean, okay. You're gonna have to give me a bit more context here, right? So, like, was this a piece that was discovered after he died? Was it discovered recently? Is this a piece that was misattributed to one of Mozart's sons or something, or or his dad, Leopold? Um, so, um, yeah. Let let me pull it up. Okay. It was discovered. Um, it was discovered a few years ago. Um, and I'll, I'll just read you a bit here. Sure. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. So, um, a newly discovered piano piece by Mozart is due to be performed at Salzburg's Mozartium Foundation to mark the composer's 265th birthday this year. 
pianist Song Jun Cho will give the world premiere of, of uh, sorry, will give the world premiere performance of Mozart's Allegro in D, which was unearthed in 2018. Uh, blah blah blah. Is it just called Allegro in D, or is it Allegro in D it's, major? I assume it's Allegro in D major, but this article just says Allegro in D, okay. which is not a key; it's a letter. They would only get half credit on their music theory exam. <laughs> just saying. Exactly. <laughs> just saying. There you go. Yeah, half credit. Doctor Hook always good. said. D is a note, not a key. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old Dr. Hook, man. Yeah. Dr. Julian Hook. Beast. Yeah. Yeah. So here it is. So so um, the, the according to this article, this long abandoned Allegro has had quite the journey. The manuscript, which features notation in Mozart's hand, is thought to date from 1773. Um, and instead of being preserved and passed on for enjoyment by the masses through history, like most of Mozart's works, it seems to have gotten lost along the way. Um, <laughs> that sounds... <laughs> it took a wrong turn <laughs> way back in the forest. It took a... <laughs> Somehow, after passing from the estate of the composer's youngest son into the collection owned by Austrian civil servant and amateur musician... <laughs> Let's hear it. Alois Fuchs. <laughs> it was given away, maybe my mistake... And it fell off the musical map, Chris. Can you believe <laughs> <Wow>. it? <laughs> so, you know, you, 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 get, you get the picture. Yeah. It seems just like a small, obscure little ditty, sure. probably, that Mozart improvised in like 30 seconds um, and fell off the map, as it says, and has been sort of passed around from um, antiquarian to antiquarian in sort of private catalogs. And in 2018... Um, as it says here, it finally made the music community sit up as it should. Um, so, so, so that that's being premiered today. I think it, it must have already happened. Okay, interesting, um, interesting. So, you know, I, I tried to I tried to see if there if I could get my hands on on the manuscript or a recording, but obviously they're keeping it under tight wraps. Yeah, it's copyright. Um, <laughs> it's it's yes. copyright sphere. It's not public domain. <laughs> it's copyrighted by the by the Mozartian Foundation now. <laughs> <laughs> finally found a way to monetize Mozart. Um, interesting, interesting. Okay. Um, so, I mean, this, this. look, I mean, first of all, you got to do what you got to do during pandemic, right? You got to get yeah. the press uh, on your side however you can. So, you know. Right, right. No, 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 no real hate to the, to the, um, to the Mozartium. But, um, you know, this seemed like the gimmick to end all gimmicks. Like, this is above and beyond anything that we saw for Beethoven 250. <laughs> so I was just wondering what your, sure. what your thoughts on this one. Sure. So first of all, the Mozartium is a real, legit organization. Uh, they're based in Salzburg. Uh, the Mozartium Conservatory, or whatever it's called in German, uh, is really great. But yeah, no, I mean, there's some really cool. world-class playing there and teaching that goes on at the Mozartium. And I think we should put that out there, that the yeah. Mozartium, yeah, is legit. <laughs> respect where respect is due. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone involved is world class. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So with with this piece in particular, it's kind of interesting. Um, part of me wants to call it BS, right? Like the story you gave. Now this piece being discovered now. I don't know if I buy it, Schreeder. <laughs> I think either. I mean, okay, it's probably. <laughs> Based on what I just said, if the Mozartium is putting their their name on this, it's probably legit. If it wasn't by the Mozartium, though, I would kind of really wonder. I'd really want to see the, the manuscript. So I have two questions right off the bat. Um, 
so first of all, what 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 makes you say that? And second of all, um, is this a common thing that happens? Like people unearth pieces because this happens in in the painting world all the time, right? But um, but the way you said that makes me think that that you've seen this happen with other pieces in in music, which shocks me actually. Yeah. So um, this happened more. Um, I want to say in more in the middle of the 20th century and a little bit after. Hmm. So a really great example, a really relevant example too, is the Hummel trumpet concerto. So that concerto hmm. was basically unknown and lost for a few hundred years until I believe it was Armando Gitala, who was a principal trumpet player of the Boston Symphony and just a legendary 20th century trumpet player and trumpet teacher. And so I believe the story is he, he would just discovered it either him or maybe someone he, he he knew discovered it just in a library in germany one day and it was just there <laughs> in a basement on a shelf and no one had touched it in a really really long time and then he came out and i believe he he was the first one in fact to record it and to i don't want to say premiere it because it, it was premiered way back in the days but premiere it again and such and now that's a standard trumpet concerto that's standard repertoire that every classical trumpet player learns and probably performs at some point <laughs> so so that is definitely interesting yeah so that has definitely happened and uh the inverse is also true as well because mozart it's pretty well agreed upon amongst musicologists that mozart wrote a trumpet concerto but we just can't find it we just don't know where it is and most historians and musicologists agree it was probably burned or um in the bombings of world war ii uh hmm. so it was probably just destroyed and because there's actual references to the trumpet concerto in writings of Mozart and in scholarship at, at the time and stuff. So there's all these references to the Mozart trumpet concerto, but we just can't find it. So, and obviously, obviously there was no recording technology back then. So we, we can't search for, we, we can't, we can't Napster it <laughs> yeah. for, for various reasons. <laughs> um, and um and, and and do you know if um if like misattribution is is a common thing in in classical music? Uh, so cuz that that's also something that's quite common in in painting, you know. Right, like, right. Like Salvador Mundi, right? They attributed to Da Vinci only finally maybe 5 years ago or so. Yeah, yeah. 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 And if you go to the the sort of like the the really famous thing that I always thought was a self-portrait of of Da Vinci was is apparently not we're not sure that that's actually Da Vinci, or actually, we're quite certain that it's not. Oh, interesting, um, interesting. Okay. You know, um, so yeah, with with Da Vinci, that happens all the time. It seems. Right, but, right. But yeah, I've, I've not heard of this happening too often with classical music. Right. No, interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm. I mean, I I, I do think there's a lot of misattribution in, <laughs> um, by students and by, performers. You know, is it Bach or is it? <laughs> One of Bach's kids is it Leopold Mozart or is it Wolfgang Amadeus? Right. It's I yeah I, I do see honest mistakes happen. Yeah, that that's particularly thorny with Bach because there were so many times where he would he would sort of write write the melody and then ask his students to his his sons to um to sort of harmonize it or write right write the um write the keyboard part as an exercise you know um so that's understandably thorny but right right yeah um interesting i'm, I'm trying to but, think but yeah. that's an interesting point that you know it I, I was i was sort of reading this and thinking that it's a it's an obvious gimmick but it never occurred to me to to actually doubt the, the manuscript <laughs> itself but but n now that i'm looking at it the, the phrasing here is kind of odd it says um 
The manuscript, quote, which features notation in Mozart's hand on both sides. That's uh maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that seems that seems like they're 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 not just saying like you know, this is obviously Mozart's script. It 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 features notation in Mozart's hand. I don't know. I mean it's also weird because because so much of, of Mozart is is not really is not really written down. Like a lot of his manuscripts, especially for his keyboard works, which I think this is, right? Yeah, yeah, this is a keyboard work. And so, so many of his keyboard manuscripts, because he played them himself, you know, so, so right, often. Right, right. Um, they're like the most bare bones sketches imaginable because most of it was improvisatory. You know, he would just like, um, th- there's, there's one piano concerto where he, um, the actual manuscript is just a, a sort of skeletal structure of it. And then he actually went back and, and wrote in, I think, what most people play now. Um, oh, interesting. To help out like a student or someone like that, you know, who, who sort of came to him with the with his manuscript and said, like, you know, this is I don't know how you make what you what you made in the performance out of this manuscript. <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. So so then he actually wrote down, you know, his improvisation. Interesting. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Did you see this reported anywhere else other than classical FM? I saw I saw a bunch of stuff about this. I, I saw a bunch of stuff about this on Twitter, okay. and I I don't know if it's anywhere else but Classical FM. I'm it's on. Um, you can go to Deutsche Grammophon Premium dot com or dgpremium.com and get the get the tickets for the concert. Yeah, can you buy one for me too? You, oh, oh, it's only for the streaming. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was <laughs> fifteen bucks for the matinee of the uncovering of Mozart's new piece. Yeah, at the at the Salzburg um, airport when we're going through customs, they're like, "All right, so why are you guys here again during the pandemic?" <laughs> like, like, <laughs> <laughs> we have to hear the Allegro in D major. In D, in, <laughs> in D. Yeah, we, we have to know if it's minor or major. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what are your thoughts on, on Mozart generally? Yeah, I mean, I will say I do think Mozart is underrated <laughs> or put differently. I think people love him for all the wrong reasons, hmm. right? And where the true genius of Mozart is, I think, goes overlooked a lot of times and the true difficulty of playing Mozart. I stumbled across recently, I'm not sure if it was recently posted or I only just recently saw it, but it's a... Uh, performance on YouTube of the great Polish pianist Christian Zimmerman performing Mozart's Sonata number 10 that's K330 in C major For those who are not aware, Mozart is one of those composers that made it easy on on the world by catalog numbering all of his pieces. So all of his pieces 
RK. What what does K stand for again? I always forget. Uh, I think it's it's uh, for Kersh- for Kershaw or Koshal. Okay. I think it's Koshal. Yeah. So so K stands for for the Koshal catalog. Um, I don't know when the catalog was was made, but but it it is certainly um, it's pre- it's pretty easy to keep track of his works because because they're neatly organized. That's awesome, and they're also very easy to search for, right? Because it's just built-in metadata. <laughs> you can just go on YouTube and search K three thirty, and everything that comes up will be all the performances of that particular piano sonata. So, and anyways, um, so this certainly helpful when you have a lot of pieces that are called Allegro and D. <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the catalog number of this new? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyways, um, yeah. So I stumbled across this performance on YouTube and uh, yeah, it's by the great, really phenomenal Polish pianist, Christian Zimmerman, who's probably more famous for his performances of Chopin. I mean, he won the Chopin competition in the seventies or eighties, I want to say, um, yeah, he's really phenomenal. His Beethoven is really great. Yeah, er, everything he plays is very real class. But yeah. his performance of this Mozart piano sonata blew me away. Blew me away. Because I think I, I even said in the tweet where I I retweeted it out or something, he gets right all the things that most people miss while also discovering a few things of his own. Hmm. And that is the challenge and beauty of Mozart, I think. Right. So if you, if I may, if if Mm -hmm. I may, if you put Mozart uh, side by side by something, um, if you you listen or play Mozart right next to, say, Liszt or maybe Rachmaninoff, you know, two really great composers that I love, but they couldn't be more different. Right. In, you know, Liszt, the the challenge of playing, you know, the great Hungarian rhapsodies and all this stuff, the, the challenge is, the main challenge, at least, the first challenge is hitting all the notes, and that's hard <laughs> enough. Like from a technique standpoint, it's it's a it's it's a monster, right? With Mozart, yeah, some of his pieces can be hard from a technique a- aspect, sure, right? But the challenge for Mozart, I guess, is playing it perfectly, and I don't mean perfectly like a computer. I mean perfectly, as in there's no virtuosity to hide behind. It's just very exposed, very out there. And you have to get all these little small, these very small details correct. And if you get just one of them right, that's fine. But that's not enough. You have to get all of them right throughout the piece. And then they eventually add up and create the effect that Mozart was originally going for. So an example, I guess, with this um, this 10th piano sonata by Mozart performed by Christian Zimmerman. If you notice, there's times where, there's times where he, he, he will play... He'll play a sequence of notes just at the tempo, at, at the steady tempo he's been playing and kind of established. He'll just play it. But then when they repeat, he'll maybe slow down a tiny bit on the third note in the sequence. And then when he repeats it again, he slows down just a hair on the second note. And that's not written in the music. That's just part of the style. You have to know playing Mozart itself is a skill. It's a skill you have to learn how to play Mozart. And that's different than how you play any other composer. And it's these little small details that are just so, so difficult, <laughs> especially in a performance when you're on stage and sweating and you just want to play the notes. 
but yeah, they're so, so difficult. And it's one of those where as a listener, you may not have noticed it, but your brain did. And right. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And it's again with, with Mozart, it's just all these little small things are so tough to get right that a lot of times are not even written in the music. Yeah. Like proper, proper Mozart playing. This is true of, of all of the sort of, for lack of a better word, great composers or maybe canonical composers is a better okay. term. Sure. You know, there's some composers that everyone ought to, like everyone has to be familiar with, you know, to some degree. Um, and they all have sort of sculpted out like a whole planet of their own that is the interpretation of that person's music. And it has it, it has to do with other things like the style of that time period generally and et cetera, et cetera. But the performance of that one composer is its own thing that you can devote your life to in a way that it's not so for, for again, I hesitate to say this, but for like lesser composers, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah. It's I mean, true of Mozart in that way. Like right. Mozart performance is its own language. Exactly. Separate from anything else. Right. I think a good example might be Mozart's teacher, Haydn. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. I mean, that's just... You could spend. Did, your... did he actually study with Haydn? I believe so. I believe so. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm blatantly that. wrong on that, but I I believe Mozart kind of yeah I, I yeah I believe I he, he moved to Vienna I think to study with Haydn. He moved from Salzburg to Vienna to study with mm. Haydn. It was tough to find, but no, <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, man. Are we gonna redux the crickets for that? Because <laughs> he was Haydn. Um, <laughs> Um, but okay. I mean, yeah, I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to throw Haydn under the bus. He wrote the first modern trumpet concerto. So I love Haydn, but you could really devote your whole life and career just to studying how to play Mozart. Right. And, and there's pianists, you'll notice some pianists kind of shy away from Mozart. Um, and cause some, cause it's just, uh, no, I don't want to name names. Instead, I'll, I'll name the names of the people who are really good at playing Mozart. Like Mitsuko Uchida is her Mozart's phenomenal. Daniel Barenboim, his whole cycle of all the Mozart sonatas are really, really great. Um, Murray Praya has a great Mozart cycle. But Christian Zimmerman, I I, I hadn't, I, I was not aware he played a ton of, Mo, or I'm sure he played, but I wasn't aware he recorded a lot of Mozart's. That's why I was pretty surprised when I saw this. And then I listened to it and, and in in the comments too, underneath the video, everyone's saying the same thing. It's like, holy smokes, this guy just, <laughs> just, uh, he just nails it. You can probably help me out a bit more of this because I mean, Mozart was a very big player in the in the flute repertoire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has he has uh, two flute concertos that are, you know, asked in virtually every audition and in the final round of every competition, uh, more or less. And there's also a flute and harp concerto, oh, which, right. I, which I, I actually really do like that one. The, the two flute concertos I'm not super fond of, but, you know, they're, they're all right. Was he and trying to get with the harpist? Four... Is that the story? I think he was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. That's why he wrote so, it. <laughs> the, the, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sort of myth going around that, that he didn't like flutists very much. Hmm. Um, or that he did, sorry, that he didn't like the flute very much. But I, I think he just didn't really like flutists because... Um, he never got he never got paid for for the concertos for the flute concertos. Um, though to be fair, he never he never completed the commission, so I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. I'm not exactly sure which one came first. Um, that, that depends on who you ask. Yeah, and order matters. Order matters in that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> but in the case of the flute and harp concerto, I, I, I think, I think um, in some reports, he was enamored by the harpist and was trying to get with her. So, um, hmm. so that might explain the sort of higher quality of the writing yeah. of that of that piece, which is which is a, it, it's almost reads like it's uh, composed by someone like a different composer. It's you know. a beautiful piece. It's, it's really it, is. Gorgeous. it is. And it's play, it plays in the movie Amadeus when Salieri first sees the, the score of Mozart or something. Yeah. Ah, you're right. Yeah. The second movement, right? Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. No, that's a nice movement. It's really nice. Um, and there are also four flute quartets, which are all pretty fun. They're, they're oh, all quite really? fun to play. Okay. Um, Interesting. Um, that's actually the most salient feature of Mozart, I think. It's that he is really fun to play. His music is oddly satisfying. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, just like his piano sonatas that I played, it's just, they're challenging. But it's, um, but yeah, they're, it's, it's really fun to play because I think... One of the, I, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but one of my piano teachers said this, and I've, I've heard this other places too, but the challenge of Mozart is making it sound inevitable. Just making whatever note you're about to play sound like that was the only note that could have ever been played next. That just makes way too much sense. So this aspect of Mozart, I didn't, I didn't get for a while, <laughs> right? I just thought, oh, just play the right notes at the right time in the right order, right? And the piece plays itself sort of thing with Mozart. And to be fair, that is how a lot of people play Mozart. <laughs> so it's, yeah, the, it, it, that's excusable to have that false preconception of how Mozart should sound. But you'll notice um, if you ever go watch on YouTube, yeah, on YouTube, there's a ton nowadays, masterclasses dealing with the music of Mozart. So one that comes to mind is Noah Bendix Bagley, who is the now um concert master of the berlin philharmonic you know some small orchestra in the middle of europe somewhere <laughs> <laughs> um, may have heard of it yeah yeah so no he's a phenomenal violinist right and so he has this really great master class on youtube of him conducting or coaching a student who's playing just as an excerpt the first violin part to mozart's 40th symphony one of mozart's most famous pieces i'm sure he'll recognize it <laughs> Yeah, we'll put a clip here, but we hardly need to. Yeah, anyway, it's um it's a really great masterclass and again, that this is just um, this is just the first violin part. This isn't even you know a violin concerto or anything. This is just the violin part that all the first violins are playing you know for this symphony, this work of Mozart's. And this violinist, she's great. I mean, she can play all the all the right notes, right? But that's not the hard part. Hard part is just really nailing the style and the you know making the articulation 
super consistent here where it needs to be and then and then different on this beat when there's a modulation into a different key and right it's like all these really small things are now put under a magnifying glass when you're playing mozart yeah it doesn't without without a new start it's still under the slur This is dramatic music. Okay. As I said before, no disrespect to Franz Liszt, but these are things you don't have to focus on as much when you can, when these things are just kind of buried underneath the virtuosity of a really loud, crazy piece, right? That has this different set of challenges. But here with Mozart, it's these small things, these ordinarily small things that are now very big things. Yeah. I mean, just on the topic of Mozart's 40th symphony, again, a piece I... I'd heard a ton. You've heard a ton. Everybody has heard it at least a few times. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those Mozart still, I think, is a composer that just has so many layers to it. And uh, you know, when that light first went off in my head was with the Leonard Bernstein Norton lecture at Harvard, where he uses Mozart's 40th as an example. You all remember the opening, the first movement. This whole section moves quite easily and diatonically from its G minor tonic to its first cadence, which is, naturally enough, on the dominant. And just as easily slipping back into the tonic. And it kind of walks through and explains all these cool musical theory these cool music theory things that are going on in this piece. And there's, you know, a section where, where it sounds almost like Schoenberg atonal music, where Mozart puts this 12 tone row in there and, and actually includes every tone except for the tonic. Right. And so it's just, you know, if you just isolate that measure by itself, you would think it's 20th century music by Stravinsky or something, but no, it's a, just a few measures from Mozart back in the 1700s. But then again comes the development section and all hell breaks loose. Do you realize that that wild atonal sounding passage contains every one of the 12 chromatic tones except the tonic G? What an inspired idea. All the notes except the tonic. easily pass for 20th century music if we didn't already know it was Mozart. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think like on this podcast, I, I made my sort of <laughs> frustration with Mozart pretty clear. Right. Yep. Um, but, um, you know, I, I might actually disagree with you less than you might think. Um, like, I want to go back to the very first thing that you said 
um, which which I was struck by. Um, I, th- I think you, you said something like, um, you said it better than this, but you said something that people like him for the wrong reasons or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, could you could you um, could you put very precisely what you meant by that? Like, what, yeah. why do you think people like him, and why do you think people should like him? Right, right. So Mozart's music, a lot of people think is cute and pretty, <laughs> and sometimes it is. But you know, that's almost like a result of the reason you should like it, which is just it's really meticulously composed music that it only sounds cute and pretty because of. I don't know. Um, Mozart's music is very hummable, or a lot of it is very hummable, right? A lot of his symphonies, concertos, piano sonatas, uh, you know, operas from the Magic Flute and um, or Die Zauberflaute. <laughs> Some titles are just more fun to say in German. <laughs> Everything's uh, more fun to say in German. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think people, I mean, people like him, the average listener and we love average listeners we're all an average listener in some realm but mozart is often used as like background dinner music or something which it's great at that right but if you actually sit down and really listen and focus on the notes on the music and on the style of the performer the little things the performer has to do with with tempo and stuff you'll realize there's a lot more than just the the superficial kind of cuteness on the surface, which there's nothing wrong with that, but there's more there. And I, I think some people just stop at the, at that first layer. Yeah. I mean, you know, that that's one of my, it's one of those things that, that is with Mozart um, sort of endlessly frustrating. And, and I think it's like a, a, there's something there that I will sort of contend with, I think probably for the rest of my life. Because I don't, I don't know which way to make up my mind on it, you know. Um, on the one hand, I, I, I can't disagree with what you say. I think Mozart has become this. He's become a composer that that everyone sort of goes through. You know, no yeah. one, no, you can't ignore the presence of Mozart when you're composing or when you're, when you're playing. Right, music right. Anymore, like he, he's just he's there to stay. Um, so. <laughs> Um, like the style, like Mozart's style is, is something that is, it has like its own intrinsic beauty, you know, the fact that the fact that anyone has, has even sort of, um, plunged into the depths of the interpretation of any, of any composer, uh, to the, to the level that some people have sort of gone into Mozart. Mm -hmm. Um, it's incredible. And it's like, it's an art form in and of itself. Right. But, um, but it's, it's always, it's always, it's always frustrating because I, I actually don't. I actually, I'm not. I'm not sold by by what you said that Mozart is is sort of impeccably impeccably composed music. Hmm. Um, I, I think in some ways, in some ways, um, you know, this sounds more facetious than I mean it to be. But I think he, you know, Mozart is unquestionably one of the greatest musicians to have ever lived, by any by any reasonable measure. Right. Um, but I'm not. I'm not sure that he was like. I'm not sure that he was necessarily one of the greatest composers. Interesting. Interesting. Um, his, he may have been too good at improvisation for huh, his own. Interesting. He may have been too enamored with it. I mean, th- there are there are moments of of pure genius in in most of his pieces, 
you know, and and a good number of them are consumed by genius. Like they're they're largely genius. Um, but the most frustrating thing about Mozart, which I don't think is true of people like Bach or even Debussy, is that even Mozart's greatest pieces invariably have um, some percentage of it that is fluff. <laughs> There's just no way around it. Um, and that is, you know, you can go to his, even pieces of his like the like the Requiem or the, yeah. the C minor Mass. You know, the these are by any any account like the most sort of profound things that he wrote. I think they're actually both unfinished, but um, but you know they're these sort of deep, profound pieces, and yet there's always frills in them that uh, that I find you know sometimes unbecoming, uh, and. I, I never really know. I never really know what to what to make of it because it just um, it just it, he's in some ways like a, another way to to sort of put it. I think I may be sort of stealing from Victor Borger here, but um, he's the easiest composer to imitate. Hmm. Hmm. That's true. That's true. He, I, at a certain point, I think he. I don't. I don't know if he became too self aware or he created or he had a style of improvisation that was so his like it just it seemed like he he could write he could write like a quintessential mozart piece the way that someone writes like a facebook status or something you know interesting it was he he was such a great musician and he was such a great mozart <laughs> that he could just write off like he could just write out like the 29th symphony and you know it would take him no more effort than it would to like make breakfast so with the Victor Borga part, you're referencing where he plays Happy Birthday in the style of different composers. And the Mozart yeah. one is one of the best ones of that. It just sounds, yep. yeah. If Mozart wrote Happy Birthday, that's exactly how it would sound. <laughs> exactly, yeah. There's just no way around it. think too so impeccably composed is maybe a different phrase as opposed to Mozart's music just being impeccably constructed hmm. so so what's interesting about Mozart right that few composer I mean by definition few composers can do this but Mozart truly encapsulated a whole era of music that being the classical era if I say name a composer from the classical era you're gonna say Mozart and then you'll say Haydn, um, who else? Uh, Hummel, I guess. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> it's Mozart and then the conversation begins. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Where yeah. you can't. I mean, I guess you could do that with Bach in the Baroque era. Okay, fair. Much less so. I mean, Bach. Bach is not. He is an. He's an anomaly within the Baroque style, whereas fair, Mozart fair, is the apotheosis yeah. of the classical style. Right. Right. And then with the Romantic style of the 1800s, right? It's there's too many to pick from. Is it Tchaikovsky or is it you know, is it Brahms? I, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a it's, it's a bunch of folks. But Mozart. I mean, he just encapsulated encapsulated this whole style of of music, right? And because of that, you know. One of the critiques you'll hear of Mozart, or not critiques of Mozart, but reasons you'll hear why people don't like listening to Mozart as much is it just sounds too logical, like too boring, too predictable, some people say. And I can kind of get why some people would think that at first. 
you know, his sonatas, right? There's in classical music, there's something called sonata form, right? Which is a formula you use to, to construct a piece of music, right? You have a theme, then you modulate to a, a different key, you change keys, then you repeat that theme, then you play the first section all over again, then you go on to a development where the theme and other melodies kind of get morphed in a way, and then you come out the other side with the first melody again in a different key now, right? So there's this, that's a simplified version, but, but there's, you can check out the Wikipedia article that really walks through <laughs> sonata yeah. form, right? Um, and I remember as a kid, like my piano teacher with my, when I was learning this stuff, told me, all right, with your highlighter, now highlight in green the second <laughs> theme, right? <laughs> and, and then, <laughs> yeah, so it's this formula and in sonata form has become something more than just used in Mozart sonatas or piano sonatas. It's now, it's been, it was then used by the romantics and symphonies. Brahms used sonata form and met many of his symphonies and a lot of composers have used it. So it's, it's a cool creation. Mozart didn't create it. But he's the one who really kind of, I think, firmly you know, established that this is, this is a good thing. <laughs> and, and this yeah. is a, a useful thing. He's certainly the most sort of prolific expounder of it. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. So, but because of that, the first movements, at least of his of his piano sonatas, you know, all of them are in three movements. The first one, they all, the first movement is going to always have this kind of outline structure that it follows. The melodies are going to be different. The exactness, the, the exact keys are going to be different. The, the way the melody develops is going to be different, but there's going to be a skeleton that they all follow. So I, that's why some people I think might say, yeah, there's a predictability to Mozart, but that common skeleton gives it a certain beauty, I think. Almost like if you've been to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York or something, if you go to the antiquities section, right, you see like these rows of all these vases from ancient Greece. And yeah, it's always a vase, right? But it's, and they're all built like a vase and they're all probably made the same way, but they're really beautiful individually, but also just as a collective, they're even more beautiful than the sum of their parts, right? And I think that's part of the case with Mozart. There's a beauty in almost the restrictiveness of this sonata form that you can't just write anything you want. It has to fit into this predetermined skeleton. You have to get creative on how you do that. And it leads to, it leads to some really great music, I think. To sort of riff on that, I, I mean, I, I like the way you say that because I think I totally agree. I, th I think the, the accusations that Mozart is, is repetitive or predictable, I think, are kind of half-baked. I, I sort of see where the predictable part comes in because I think it's not to do with the, when I say that at least, it's not necessarily to do with the sonata form, the, the sonata, sonata form part of it, mm -hmm. but it's to do with the fact that his his um, his his sort of bridging sections are, are so often um, reliant on the same kind of uh, diatonic harmonies hmm. um, with, with the same kind of um, sort of uh, arbitrary sort of 16th note flourishes, especially in the first movements, you know, um, you get the sort of like, there's, there's a sort of Mozart idiom that is very, very common, you know, like you can sort of imagine like, you know, like the, yeah. it's, there's this like a thing that he does that's like very Mozart and he just sort of, you know, yeah. And um, it's with the like, trill and then the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or like the, the, you know, the scalar passage with the 16th notes alternating on, you know, on a, on a half step at the top. Um, you know, there's there's these sort of like idiomatic flares that he does that that have become part of the Mozart canon. Um, 
So that's more my issue with with that stuff than the sonata form. But I I, I take your point, which is which is that um, the the form itself should not should not um, hinder your appreciation of what what is actually happening, which is quite often so beautiful. Yeah. Um, but let 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 me let me um, sort of rephrase my frustration with Mozart <laughs> via via Beethoven maybe. Ah, okay, um, sure. Because I think it's it's a pretty unimpeachable statement that Mozart is is like I said before, he's one of the greatest musicians to have ever lived, right? Um, there's no doubt about it. Um, but to sort of stick with the the, the analogy of like the vases, um, yeah. he strikes me as someone who was born with a sort of preternatural talent for creating beautiful, beautiful vases from the age of like five. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the time he was 15, he had like perfected the craft of making beautiful vases and then spent the rest of his life making, making really, you know, making really great vases, but never really, um, I think never really um, fulfilling the sort of, the, the depth of the kind of genius that he had, you know? And, if you look at someone like like Beethoven, who I think by all sort of contemporary accounts of both of them, Be- Beethoven was just as much of a skilled improviser as um, as Mozart yeah, yeah. was said to have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if we go back to their manuscripts, like what is the striking difference? You know, the striking difference is that Mozart's manuscripts are, you know, the cliche is that they seem to have been written by God is what people say, you know, <laughs> from 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 heaven's from God's mouth to Mozart's pen, there's, a, you know, Mozart was never one to write a second draft. Um, and a lot of times he never completed the first one because it was already in his head. He, who, who needs to write it down when you can come up with music as, as, a, as, as wonderfully fresh and quickly as Mozart did. Um, and yet, and what's the, what's the most salient feature of, of Beethoven's manuscript? You know, it's, it's the sort of endless scratchings out and the redoing of it. And, um, and and I think that's there's something there that's like the sort of crux of the difference between the two, um, hmm. and like a like to sort of put a concrete example of it, you know, like in the we'll have to put a clip here, but in the part that happens right before the climax of the first movement of the fifth symphony, it's a it's a chord progression that sort of sounds wandering, like it's not really uh. clear where it's going, and it sounds. Quite frankly, it kind of sounds like someone sort of plunking away at the piano, like chords, and they're just sort of trying to find their way home or something, mm-hmm, you know. Sure. But it leads to this sort of grand climax um, that is that is then using the germ of um, of of that chord progression that you just heard, and then the climax sort of has its own development that is again using that using that same chord progression. <laughs> And then that creates a sort of sense, this like overwhelming sense of um, of of climax and of um, just it's just like you you feel like you're in the witness of of actually having witnessed like a real composition that's been put together because Beethoven sneaks up on you. You know that's that's the sort of great part of 
of great compositions when when you realize like oh no the composer just tricked me like i thought i was hearing something and i was hearing something else um that happens so often in beethoven and that happens sometimes in mozart that there's yeah. no doubt about it and in mozart's great compositions yeah he was more than capable of doing the exact same thing that's exactly where the frustration comes from which is that in most of his compositions when mozart is it seems like he's lost at sea. He actually is just sort of lost at sea for a while. Mm-hmm. Like he, there's like there's often moments where he's sort of no, like noodling around, and never really amounts to anything the same way that Beethoven amounts to something. In the way that you think he's noodling away at something, and then two minutes later a climax hits you, and you're like, oh, I just heard like it's making me rethink everything I just heard. You know, yeah. with Mozart, it's just there's like, you know, two minutes of sort of frilly 16th notes and then you move on to a completely sort of different unrelated theme. Um, It's only related in the sort of most superficial arbitrary ways. Um, And that's my frustration with Mozart. I guess to put it in a more summary way, um, he was such a genius that uh, I sometimes wonder why he didn't compose more works of genius than he did when he was clearly capable of doing it if he if he applied himself a little bit more. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, he died young. So, yeah, you know, I was about to say, he di- died in his 30s. So, um, <laughs> Salieri killed him. <laughs> oh, Salieri, Streeter. <laughs> there's still Can you these. Blame him? There's like a. <laughs> There's like a hardcore group of like six people that are like conspiracy theorists to this day that <laughs> that it was it was a murder. Is the, the original Epstein didn't kill himself? <laughs> it's yeah. funny, right? Because yeah, there's some parts in Mozart. Um, there's some parts in Mozart that are really surprising and sometimes like beautifully surprising. Like again, in the 40th Symphony, yeah, you have this crazy development section, but then you just very naturally slide back into the melody again. Eh, that's one of my favorite parts of music that it just it's surprising just how ah yeah it's great it's surprising not like a climatic way it's surprising just yeah. how smoothly you can drift back to where you started listen to this creepy crawly chromaticism to our oh-so-gratifying and welcome recapitulation in G minor. How much of, of the output of Mozart is due to him just being a businessman? <laughs> oh, that's probably a lot of it. Right. And, I, you know, make your money, man. I respect that. I do think, too, that, you know, obviously there's some moderation involved, but I'm a firm believer that great artists ship. Picasso and Dolly didn't just sit on their paintings endlessly working on them for years and years. No, they finished them and they sold them. (laughs) 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 No, for sure. Right, and the polar opposite would be Da Vinci, right? Where there's, again, only 10 or so confirmed Da Vinci's. And one of the criticisms of Da Vinci, again, not criticism, but one of the points always made about Da Vinci is, yeah, he just worked on his paintings. He just took so long to finish his paintings because he, 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 he would wait for the right idea to come. He was he was in no hurry. He really wanted to yeah. to get it exactly right. And, and it's the so. opposite frustration <laughs> that I have with Mozart. You know? Right, exactly, exactly. With, with Mozart, I look at him and I think, you're clearly such a genius. Why didn't you spend 
one more hour on this piece and make it, you know, with Da Vinci, I'm like, you're clearly such a genius. Just put this out there. Like, yeah, it's good, man. It's good. It's good It'll enough. It's good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's good. It's good enough. But yeah, no, I mean, there's paintings of his he worked on for 30 years. Yeah. You know, and stuff. Um, yeah, I do get what you're saying, right? Because sometimes you do play Mozart. This is more often maybe in, in the back of the orchestra where, where I sit playing trumpet. And Mozart didn't write the greatest trumpet parts of all time, but that was <laughs> also just a symptom of the classical era you know the trumpet wasn't a big focal point back then i play like four bars and then i put my horn down to rest and i just think really mozart like really <laughs> like that <laughs> yeah. i almost wonder if he if he is uh maybe like this isn't this isn't fair but i wonder if he's too eager to please you know some, someone like <laughs> beethoven again He's like the king of of like delayed uh, gratification, right? Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. Um, like you actually do need to sort of sit down and and like try to um, like you actually do need to sort of sit down and and sort of get into Beethoven before you can fully like really appreciate him. Um, whereas with Mozart, the sort of the brilliance and the it's so effusive. Like the brilliance is yeah. just it, it gets you from the moment you start listening. You know. Yeah. It's just like from the get-go, it's just like, you know, here's a beautiful melody, here's an unimpeachable cadence, and here's some here's like a structure for this movement that you can't possibly say anything bad about. Right, um, right, right. You know, it's just like wham bam. It's it's just no there's no moment where you're like, I wonder where he's going with this. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say you do get some of that in his, you know, I mean I think you agree too. You do get some of that in his truly iconic great works, like the Requiem yes. or his late symphonies and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I'll grant you. Um yeah, a lot of it's like, I may sound hypocritical, but yeah, a lot of it is cute. <laughs> yeah. A lot of it is very nice. Yeah. Um, and also, like, there's a lot of Mozart's early works are just not good, right? And no one pretends them to be. Um, yeah. What, his first 24 symphonies, I think, are mostly kind of junk. You know, proof is in the pudding, right? You usually don't see them performed. Symphonies 25 and after, you <laughs> do see performed a lot. <laughs> yeah. So... Really, really, thirty-five and after. I mean, twenty-five is performed often. Twenty-eight okay. and twenty-nine 20, are. Yeah. Um, Which ones is it? The Hofner or wait? Hofner's Which thirty-five. Okay, oh, that is thirty-five. I think. Okay. Okay, that's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. That one is that one is quite good and performed often. I think. Um, yeah. Twenty-five is the one that's used in. I think it's used in Amadeus a lot. It's one of the it's one of the two minor symphonies. Dun 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 dun. dun. Yeah. That was a good one. Um, yeah, I think you said this to me back in our college days. You said like, you said something like rule of thumb, if it's in a minor key by Mozart, it's probably pretty good because he didn't write in minor very often. <laughs> yeah, I still stand by that. Yeah, I'm sure someone 15th... will come out with counterexamples, but you know. Sure, sure. But yeah, no, I mean, just thinking, right, his 15th string quartet is really nice. It's really nice. And I think it is, it's in yeah. D minor. It's in D. Yeah. It's in D. It's in D. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, my favorite piano concerto of his is the C minor, which is what? Is that number 20? I think so. Yes, yeah, C major is 21. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think C major is 21. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now do Kirschel numbers. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. Yeah, well, but, some of those, I it just I just know, like, K330, we talked about earlier. K309 yeah. was when I played on piano. Yeah, so <laughs> you know the ones you've played, <laughs> like yeah, the, the yeah. Kirschel numbers. I have to stand up for early Mozart a little bit here because um, okay, let's hear it. I think he gets a I think he gets a, a sort of unfair rap. I, I mean, I I agree with you. I think okay. the first twenty four symphonies are more or less garbage. Okay, um, and a lot of the ones that came after until thirty five are also garbage. Um, hmm. I think thirty five to forty one are pretty much unimpeachable. I, I don't. I'm sure there's someone out. I'm sure Glenn Gould would have a, <laughs> you know, would rip them. But um, even I wouldn't yeah. go that far. But some of my favorite pieces by Mozart are, if not my favorite pieces, um, are the, um, the the Paris sonatas, I think they're called. Um, they're the piano sonatas, uh, um, I think it's numbers 8 through 13. Are the yes. par- they're, they're early sonatas that he wrote while he was in Paris. Um, and that includes the one I mentioned of yeah. Christian Zimmerman playing, yeah. which is number 10. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and those those actually the three that, of those that are my favorite are number ten, number eleven, which is in A major that has the famous um, theme that everyone will recognize. We'll put the clip here. The oh, isn't this cute? We're singing together. I know, right? We're singing Mozart together. I know. Who would have thought? I love the way Glenn Gould plays that one, for for example. Yeah. Um, his apostrophed version. His apostrophed version, yeah. yeah. And he sort of gradually lets each variation go a little bit more um, until by the end it's more effusive. It's it's By the end of it, it's the way that everyone plays it from the beginning. But um, if, I don't know if that made sense. It's apostrophed, but he gradually takes the apostrophes away by the end. Yeah. It's just one clean line. Exactly. Yeah. And in that in that sense, it's, it almost becomes Beethovenian. Like he's, he's sort of delaying the gratitude or the, the gratification um, until the end. ...quickly, but in fact what I did with it was to turn it into the theme only, not the variation, to turn it into a sort of uh, Anton Webern-like statement of apostrophes, something like this. You'll be shocked. You are shocked. Just play it how you, Hollywood would play it. Well, I, I think Hollywood would play it with, with strings, of course, dubbed in. with that well, nothing really except that it takes all the juice out of it because uh, what i was trying to do was to play it so maddeningly slowly that in i had to get at that moment everybody's hackles aroused i had to get a reaction um and having got that reaction with this incredibly apostrophe apostrophe performance but um i also yeah. really like number 13 i think so and, and and there's also some early violin sonatas um uh the e minor violin sonata I think it's number 21. Yeah. He also wrote that in Paris. I really like what he wrote in Paris, apparently. 
but um, that one is just gorgeous. So I, I I think it's not it's not it's not clear to me that like that Mozart was was like a bad composer until you know his later period. I think he had some right. early stuff that was that I think is really really nice. Um, and for that matter, he has some later stuff that is um, pretty garbage. I think. Oh really? Yeah. Um, I really don't like the the twenty first piano sonata, the C major one. Oh I, you know what? It's funny. I, I really like it, but. No, um, you should listen to, there's a great performance of um, uh, Mirzo Polini playing it with, I think, the La Scala Orchestra in Milan, Italy. Okay. It's a really nice performance, and he plays it in a really nice, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it may not convince you, but again, it's one of those that is played a lot. It's a beautiful piece. It's played a lot, but again, people miss a lot of the important stuff, I think. also I, I think this is kind of a overarching theme with a lot of mozart not all of his works but a lot of his works is people and i'd be wary to say this to a student because they'll probably interpret it the wrong way <laughs> but people take it too seriously um so um with this performance i i keep referring to that i discovered on youtube of christian zimmerman playing the 10th mozart piano sonata He's having the time of his life. He's having so much fun performing this. He's smiling. He's he's almost singing along and things. And he's just having a jolly time. And and yeah, and that comes across in the way he plays it too. It's not you know Verdi's Requiem. It's, it's yeah. not Mahler's Second Symphony. Yeah, this is it's unapologetic for what it is. And again, if if you play Mozart, if you play it. Or even if you listen to it like too focused, and where to even say it like that, but I think I, I think you know what I mean, right? It's yeah, it, not if you play it too intensely, maybe it, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I mean, it's the kind of paradox that's present in so much of great art, right? Um, it's there's a sort of simplicity that can only be had through a very sort of complicated understanding of music and of Mozart, um, <laughs> right, you, can, right. you know, th there's a, you can, you, you have to have a lot of fun with it, but that can only happen once you have sort of studied and ingrained Mozartian style, like in your, in your bones, mm -hmm. you know, and then you can sort of, once you've studied it all, you can let go of it and have fun. Like, like Christian Zimmermann does. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's these paradoxes of, of dealing with Mozart that are present in dealing with all the greatest composers. And it's, um, it's endlessly, you know, that, that's why people keep coming back to them, you know. Um, yeah. One ever gets tired of playing them. I get tired of playing the flute concertos, but they're not very good. But um, yeah. And you do have to play them a lot for... And we have to play them a lot, yeah. For all the wrong reasons, though, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, right, right. <laughs> um, 
if you think Mozart is not necessarily fun to play generally, try playing him for an audition. <laughs> yeah, every audition. Every audition, yeah. <laughs> um, right. But you know, there's some violins and that that I that I play. Um, Oh, that okay. are that okay. are really fun. I mean, the the E minor one that I was saying, the one that he wrote in Paris, yeah. sounds gorgeous. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. I I think I think we we've, we've sort of had, had our <laughs> we, say. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and if if I, I could say another thing about this Christian Zimmerman performance, yeah. and again, yeah. I just adore him so, so much as a pianist. He's just you know he's getting old, but he's still he's still performing a lot and. He's just a really fantastic artist, I think. Um, Didn't he just walk out of a concert once because a phone rang in the audience? Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah, he's really um, he's he's really principled. I, I like that about him. I think he was like playing something and like a phone started ringing in the audience, and he just got up and left. He was like, "Fuck all of you, <laughs> I'm out of here." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it probably happened. He, he thought for like a second. He's like. I don't deserve this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but sorry, no, um, I, I derailed you. I'm sorry. What were you saying? Oh no, no. Um, yeah, if there's just one thing to focus on um, with this performance of his. Just listen to when he does and when he doesn't use the pedal on the piano. And sometimes you can see in the in the shot, you can see his foot on the pedal or you know, on both pedals that he's using. But listen to where he like lets the piano ring and where he doesn't. And other times he does it, he does like half pedal or quarter pedal. Again, the details of Mozart really add up. And if you just focus on that one quality, you'll it'll really open your ear to this whole new side of Mozart you may have not may may have not heard earlier. And if you're not sure um what a pedal sounds like on a piano. Yeah, we'll try to find a good sort of pedal demonstration and put it on the show notes. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you use pedal just on each individual note you push the pedal down a tiny bit sometimes you just let it well ah yeah there's it's an art in its own yeah it's a whole <laughs> planet of its of itself yeah christian zimmerman it's funny what you say with style though because just talking about chopin you know christian zimmerman is polish chopin is the great polish composer i think he said once or i think he said after he won the chopin competition back in i think it was I think it was the 70s after he won he almost said it wasn't totally fair because things that other people, uh, things that other pianists have to really study and work hard for to master the Chopin style just came so naturally to him because he'd just been immersed in that culture and that style and that music his whole entire life. So he, he doesn't really have to think about it as much as all of us have to. I want to put a pin in that because I think that that's a, it's kind of convoluted, but I think that's a nice segue to, to like one, one more question that I was going to ask you. Um, oh, yeah. Which is, um, I know there are so many, but um, if you want, like, who are just a few of your sort of favorite go-to Mozart interpreters? Ah, nice, nice. This is fun, by the way, being on the interviewee sort of end of things. Oh, good. This is nerve-wracking for me. I mean, I'm usually, I'm usually the one, you know, I usually don't have to prepare for this at all. I just show up and Chris asks me a few questions and I just rant and we call it a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I just turn the mics on and off we go. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, great point. So getting back to um, uh, yeah, Mozart interpreters. So uh, if I did have to pick a favorite, I do really like Mitsuko Uchida. 
Um, she's really phenomenal. So she's Japanese, but I want to say she grew up in Austria, or she grew up. She spent a lot of her childhood in Austria, and she proudly lives in London now. She really thinks London is where it's at in the classical music game, and I happen to agree. But that's a that's a conversation in its own right. Maybe we'll maybe we'll get to that. I believe it's on our topics list. So yeah, I think it is. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. The, yeah, that's a pretty mighty that's a pretty mighty Google Doc we have going. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, I think her her Mozart interpretations are really really good. Um, uh, see, I'm I'm trying to think of yeah, maybe we'll put a clip in of her playing the same piano the same piano sonata, the tenth one that Christian Zimmerman played. Um, just get a flavor of how different pianists kind of interpret it the same way, and that's kind of a cool piano sonata too. Just the way it starts out, it's a lot of pianists have a different style or take on how to play the opening few measures, just how how flowy it should be or how kind of strict and divided it should be. So Yeah. Yeah, no, she's she her yeah. So her her Mozart, her Beethoven, I really like a lot too. Um, yeah, she's just a phenomenal pianist. She is. Yeah, she's really, she's really fantastic. Her Mozart sonata cycle. If I if I had to pick one favorite, it, it'd be hers. Yeah, no, I don't think anyone could fault you for that. Do you have any favorites? Well, I mean, I mean, e- even on the orchestral side, like conductors and orchestras, as well as yeah. instrumentalists. Well, I mean, just to stick with the piano sonatas. Um, or just the piano, the, the the sort of keyboard interpretations. I mean, one mm-hmm. person that I really, um, one person that I really like is Robert Levin. Do you know him? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, um, yeah, he's an American pianist slash musicologist, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a wonderful lecture series on. I think it's just two lectures on YouTube called "Improvising Mozart," where he oh, really goes into. Okay. I think they're like both about a couple of hours, and he really goes into. Um, how exactly Mozart sort of composed via improvisation and sort of delves into his improvisatory style. And I, I really like um, Robert Levin's interpretations because he sort of gets into Mozart's head in a way that I don't think anyone else quite does. Uh, I mean, he, he has two, um, uh, like he finished both the Requiem and the C minor mass for Mozart. Um, he has like two versions of those that that I think are my two favorite um, like finished versions of those pieces. So he's right. someone who has like really studied Mozart and gotten into his head. And he, I think, when I hear Robert Levin playing the Mozart sonatas, obviously there's no way to tell. But I kind of think, and this isn't necessarily a good thing, but I kind of think if Mozart, if I were to hear Mozart, I think it would sound <laughs> something like this. Like this guy has really, you know, he's done his homework on like the next level, you know, yeah, in the next level way. But um, I also really like Glenn Gould's Mozart piano sonatas. I mean, that's yeah. People people like you know hate on me for that, but um, you know Glenn Gould also famously sort of had his frustrations with Mozart, which I think are not just dissimilar from mine. But um, he released, I think, a complete cycle of all of the piano sonatas. All of them. Yep. All of yep. them. Yeah. Even the yep. early ones. 
And, um, (laughs) you know, one can't ever tell if he's being sort of tongue-in-cheek about them. He Sometimes he's playing them almost as if it seems with vitriol as if to say like look how bad this composer is and i'm gonna play it in the world like he he extends no charity to mozart That'd be an interesting just academic challenge, you know, play all these composers as bad as possible and who sounds <laughs> the worst and who sounds the best, right? Yeah, that would be fun. Right? Because, um, I mean, yeah. I'm not going to lie, I think Bach would probably sound the best. But <laughs> I think I think so too, yeah. <laughs> but who would sound the worst is actually an interesting one. Like how badly can you play Debussy to make it sound terrible, you know, just, think, just by way of interpretation. I think Debussy yeah. would be up there in terms of how bad it would be if you don't, if you don't play it with the right style. But that's why I really like, um, I think that's why I really like Glenn Gould's piano um, sonata recordings, because I think they bring out a quality of Mozart that nobody else does, you know? Hmm. Sure, yeah. Um, that, that's kind of what I was trying to get at when I was saying, like, uh, I want to put a pin in what you were saying about Christian Zimmerman and his Chopin recordings, yeah. where yeah. there's certainly something to be said for really getting into the style of the composer. But yeah. um, it's also really interesting to me when people decide... I'm going to go completely antithetical to it because I think that that's, mm-hmm. that's a completely valid way to then find out new things about the composer as well, you know, by not playing it in style. Um, and Mozart is definitely yeah. one of the composers more than, more than most. I mean, with someone like Bach, there's so many, it's such like appropriated music that everyone sort of has their own way of playing Bach and people do like bluegrass yeah. versions of it. And it's not really a big deal, but Mozart's style is like this really mm. like rarefied, refined thing, you know, like we're saying, people spend their entire lives studying how to play, you know, 16th notes in Mozart. Um, and when someone like Glenn Gould just comes to the table and like flips it over and says, fuck all of this, I'm doing this my way. <laughs> um, I think that's equally um, interesting because then you really start being like, okay, what exactly is Mozart doing with the left hand in the piano sonatas? Right. And how is it related to what Beethoven does? Or what Schubert is going to end up doing, you know. That it's it's like an X-ray reading of Mozart um, that I think is undervalued. Yeah. You know, most people just listen to Glenn Gould and they're like, "This this is a fucking joke." Um, yeah, no, it's 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 interesting, right? I mean, if I went and I played a Mozart sonata really well for like you know a masterclass or something, say I played yeah for like a, a great pianist, you know, if I if I was part of a piano masterclass and I played a Mozart sonata very well, pro- probably what the clinician would say as a compliment is they would say, oh, wow, you play Mozart very well, right? Yeah. They wouldn't say, oh, you played that piece very well. I mean, they might, but certainly not be surprising if they say, oh, you have a very good Mozart. You you play Mozart very well, you know, and yeah, that's just something you don't say about most composers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way of putting it. We have to talk about the movie Amadeus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is a great movie. It's a great movie. Don't cite it as a primary source in any <laughs> academic paper of yours, but <laughs> yeah, cite, cite our podcast instead. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. I, so uh, I, I will say with 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 Amadeus. I mean, um, I, I don't I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast, but um, it has one of my favorite. It has one of my favorite moments in like sort of musical, like pop culture musical stuff. Um, hmm. simply because it's such, it's so egregious. It's so like, it's such a bold faced lie where, um, 
I think it's after the premiere of maybe The Marriage of Figaro. Okay, um, I yeah. forget which piece. It's, it's after the premiere of one of Mozart's operas. Um, mm-hmm. And someone is criticizing Mozart afterwards. I forget who. It may have been Salieri or maybe it was um, the king or whoever was in the court. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I know says, which part you're thinking about. Yeah. yeah. And he says basically something like, it was very nice, but uh, but it had too many notes. Do you think you could get rid of some right. of the notes? And Mozart says, um, you know, do you have any particular notes in mind that I should get rid of or something like that? Yeah, and that's, right. that's like this slam dunk moment where everyone is like, mic drop Mozart. Like he got him. <laughs> and it's like, no, Mozart is like the most eminently deletable composer ever. <laughs> like he's great. But if, if, if you gave me like a test with 10 composers and said like you had to get rid of 90% of their notes, I would pick Mozart. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And even if it's not, you know, even if the fluff is like integral to the piece, which I could, I could make an argument that it is, it's still, Mm -hmm. there's still a lot of notes that you could get rid of. (laughs) You know, it's not, it's not like this austere Bach chorale where, you know, every note is like always sort of doing some sort of functional, like harmonic thing. Um, I do like that part in the movie though. Just, um, if you're going to criticize something, at least have a reason. <laughs> well, that's fair. That's rather, fair. Than I, rather than I don't like it. But I mean, no. But back in the days, right? You know, the Habsburgs were financing all this. So you do you do what they say. <laughs> not, yeah. not only for your career, just for, for a bit more. <laughs> the, the movie Amadeus, it does take a lot of historical liberties. Like um, Salieri and Mozart were actually pretty close friends. And Salieri taught piano to some of Mozart's kids, I think. So... That part was more kind of fabricated, but but yeah. Anyway, just wanted to get that out. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag Salieri two sixty six. Two sixty six. Yeah. I don't know. Um, no, I, I have I have no problem with the historical inaccuracy of of Amadeus. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's all sort of in in good good fun, and it sort of adds to the sort of stylization of it. My my problem with it is we'll have to do like a whole episode on Amadeus sometime because it's worth it. It's like a <laughs> It's a it's a good it's a good film to sort of talk about, but um, I, I will just quickly say that like one sort of stylistic point that I think is genius um, in Amadeus is that um, Mozart's wig is ever so slightly different from everyone else's. Have you ever noticed that? Hmm. Um, I have to watch it again. It, okay. Like everyone else has this sort of classic wig that you picture when you picture like 18th century you know Europe, um, but Mozart's is is not the same style it's kind of more fluffy or whatever um and it's and it's not white it's not like a powdered wig it has the slightest shade of pink to it um and it almost it's got a bit of sort of it it almost looks more punk rock than it does 18th century (laughs) vienna um and that i think is one of those sort of slight this like the slightest touch in sort of costume design but i think it's like a stroke of genius because Interesting, um, interesting. Because you know, it just makes it makes the sort of image of Mozart just stick out. Like everyone else is like how you imagine people looking in in the 18th century, and then Mozart is like this sort of quasi punk rock figure, you know, which he was. Right, right, so, right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go watch it again. Um, yeah. No, and uh, I mean, one of the scenes, one of the scenes I always loved was when Salieri is just reading through all these scores of different pieces. Mozart just like flipping through them and the pieces are playing in the background 
Mm. And he's just kind of like flabbergasted. Like how, how could this guy like write so much music? That's actually, that's good. Right. These are just all, all single drafts and all first drafts. And it's so great. And he's like hearing the music in his head. I just, from a film perspective, I just really always love that scene. Yeah. Astounding. It was actually, it was beyond belief. These were first and only drafts of music. But they showed no corrections of any kind. Not one. He had simply written down music already finished in his head. Page after page of it, as if he were just taking dictation. And music, finished as no music is ever finished. Place one note, and there would be diminishment. Place one phrase, and the structure would fall. It was clear to me. And then he drops it, right? And Mozart's wife's like, "Oh, is it not good?" <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a funny scene. Any other any other final thoughts? I mean, you just have to respect a dude who all you need to say is his middle name and everyone knows who you're talking about. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Amadeus. He had, he, I can't remember his full name now. It's, it's something. I know Chrysostomus. It's longer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's something like Wolfgang, Theophilius, Chrysostomus, Amadeus, Mozart or something. I'm going to look it up after we're done with this and see how close I got. 